0: chapter 12, verse 1. God says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. And so Abraham's gone from his hometown. He's now living in Canaan, but he's He's got this tension, this tension is almost all the way through all of Abraham's story of, okay, I'm supposed to, you're going to make me a nation, you're going to make my name great, I'm going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, but my family won't last beyond me because I have no heir, I have no son. And so in Genesis chapter 15, God calls Abraham out and and asks him to believe in what God had, had told him, the promises God had made. Notice, if you will follow along, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So he's just, by repeating it twice, he's emphasizing, right, just the fact that, hey, you've promised these things to me, but I don't see how this is going to work. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, "'So shall your offspring be.' And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him his righteousness. And he said to him, "'I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to, to give you this land to possess.' But he said, "'O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it?' He said to him, "'Bring me an e- a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other.' But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, And he, behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there.'" And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good, in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So here we have God making promises to Abraham but I'd like to notice, first of all, that, I'm going to skip that again, just Genesis 12, that hope is created by God's name. Hope is created by God's name. Notice again what he says, Abram, I am your shield, or literally, I, your shield. I, this, is, this is who I am. This is my name. Now when we think about names, we, we think about what they mean to the person, but often what they mean socially, or that is to everyone else as well. Evidently, um, uh, in Pennsylvania, a 44-year-old man named Gary Matthews petitioned the court to have his name legally changed to Boomer the Dog. In his petition, Mr. Matthews stated, I've been known as Boomer the Dog by friends in the community for more than 20 years. I want to bring my legal name in line with that, all right? So he's saying, everybody knows me as Boomer the dog. Um, I should be known as Boomer the dog. The judge, whose name was Ronald Folino, I can't say that, Folil, no, denied Mr. Matthew's name change request, arguing that it would cause too much confusion. Judge Folino's decision used this example. The petitioner witnesses a serious automobile accident and calls 911. The dispatcher queries as to the caller's identity, and the caller responds, This is Boomer the dog. It is not a stretch to imagine the telephone dispatcher concluding that the call is a prank and refusing, therefore, to send an emergency medical response. I am denying the petitioner's request. The judge concluded his memorandum by observing, although the petitioner apparently wishes it were otherwise, the simple fact remains that he is not a dog. So here's this idea. He wants to be, a, he wants to be known as Boomer the dog. This is going to be his name, but, but it doesn't fit with, within the function of society. It doesn't fit with who he is. But God's names fit who he is. They reveal who he is. And there are something that we can count on in society, in, in the way we live and the way we operate. Think of the, the name Elohim, God, right? That they, that they have creator, that he has created us. Jehovah or Yahweh, that he is, he is the Lord, is our salvation. He is the one who provides El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Adonai, right? He is the Lord. Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer these are names that, that represent who God is and here God is revealing himself to Abraham as his shield he's like he's like you've you've been you've moved into this new land you're in you're in a strange place but you are i'm I'm still your shield I'm the one who protects you I'm the one who provides for you I'm the one who's guiding and directing you and in the midst of life we need to remember that God's, the hope that we have is based on the fact that God has a name that he protects. He is who he is, and he fulfills what he says because he is who he is. Here, Abram needs to be reminded that God is his shield, that, that hope is based not on who he is, what he can accomplish in this new land, but on who God is. Not only that, but hope is founded on the promises of God. And just, But again, just to, to rev- think of a few names here, right? El Shaddai, God is the supplier, the one who's in mighty to supply. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Jehovah Nissi, my banner. The one who, the one who it goes before me. Jehovah Machadesh, my sanctifier. The one who's working on me, not satisfied with where I'm at. So this is the God who's who's operating, but not only is this who he is, but then he makes promises to us, and hope is founded in the promises of God. God makes promises to Abraham. Abraham, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to, right? Now you can, there's a finite number of stars that you can see, right? Right? But we know because we have invented telescopes that in reality there is no way to number the stars. It's too vast. There's too many of them. And yet Abram didn't even have one child. And yet God is saying look at the stars. (laughs) They're, They're vast beyond number. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And it says Abraham believed God. But it was not that this his his hope was not in his belief in God. His hope was in the promises of God. You see, up to this point in moving to to Canaan, Abram had faced certain things. If you look at Genesis chapter thirteen, he he moves into the land. He's, he's, he's wealthy, he's so wealthy, and Lot is so wealthy that both of them can't live together. And it's, it, it causes them to split up. Lot moves next to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram moves here. And, and the point is, is that, well, at least he had money in his new land. At least he was wealthy in his new land. There's safety in that, right? But we see through the story, really, that hope can't, isn't found. You know, there's no hope in just having money. There's no hope in just having wealth. Then there's Genesis 14. The, the kings from the north come down and attack Sodom and Gomorrah and other, the other cities there and they capture Lot and his people. And Abraham delivers all of those cities as well as Lot, his nephew. And then he gives a tithe to Melchizedek. In, in some ways, just showing off the in some ways, the moral superiority that Abraham did have. You know, he was, he was living more wisely and more carefully than Lot was, trusting God more. But even that didn't give Abram what he wanted. You see, sometimes our, our hope is not found in God, it's found in something else. In our world today, it can often be placed in money, right so we, we get the idea of if I just had more money, if I just my job paid me more, if I could save more or use my money more wisely, then I would be better off. I would have more hope for the future, or sometimes we place our hope in in it's not always moral superiority, but just in, in that sense of uh, I can do better than the, than the average person. I can be a better person than the average person, and that means I have a better future. And again, it didn't matter for Abram. He could, he could be a great guy, but he still had no child. But you can see how the temptation to place our hope in something other than God's promises can be easily done, right? Right? Because this is the way we live our lives. Like you go to school, right? And you start getting bad grades. Your parents get on you like, okay, you know, do something about your grades. And you have to learn, you learn how to study better, how to be a better student, how to be a, do more, be more effective with what you do at school. And you get better grades, and you think, okay, this is how life works overall. If, I, if I'm not doing well, if I don't have a good future, if I don't have a hope in a good future, I work harder, I do better things, and then I'll have a better future. Right? That's what... You take that into a religious realm and you think... If I know what God wants me to do, if I just obey God, then I'll I'll have this kind of future. But here, Abram's done all of those things, and it hasn't won him that future. It hasn't given him that future. Because moral superiority doesn't get you God. Your performance in life doesn't get you God's promises. They don't come to you based on those things. But again, we, we live in a world that wants to hope in moral superiority. We, we look around us and we say, well, I'm doing, I know better than this person how life should go. I, I, I'm, I'm living my life better than that person, and so I can hope. And we we place a lot of hope in our performance. A lot of hope in, in figuring out how we can make we can do life better than the next guy. Whether that's COVID or that's just job performance or that's church life, we, we place our hope not really in God. We place our hope. Our ability to perform, our ability to figure it out, our moral superiority. But that is not where hope is found. Hope is found in the promises of God alone. And that's what we see here, because Abraham he he's he's wealthy and he has no son. He's he's done all the right things and he still has no son. And yet God comes to him and says, look toward the heavens, number the stars if you're able to, so shall your offspring be. How is that possible? Only with God. Only because of God. Only by God's acting in history on Abraham's behalf. And so... We need to remember that our hope is placed not in our performance, not in, not in how we can figure things out, not in turning over a new leaf this next year. Our hope is found in God's promises to us because there's always a challenge to hope. There's, have you ever noticed that? There's always a challenge to hope. If, if hope was easy, if hope was like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to, yeah. Of course, we, we've got plenty of things to hope in, right? But I don't think that's the way life's worked out, at least definitely not the past couple of years, right? You know, they're, they're talking about another variant. They're talking about these issues in the, the economy. This is issue of the supply chain. There's all these challenges to hope. And in fact, it seems like God introduces challenges to hope because he turns to Abraham, right? He puts Abraham into a deep sleep and he says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there, and they will be afflicted 400 years. Now, how would you like, you know, in a sense, God's saying, okay, yeah, you're going to have kids, um, but those kids are going to be slaves for 400 years. You'd be like, uh, How is that hopeful, God? You know, like, what are you saying? (laughs) Because, again, hope is not not in our circumstances. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on what we can achieve in this life. Our hope is in God himself. And the pattern in Scripture is always, always, always humility before exaltation. Humility before blessing. And you see that even here with Abram. Abram, you can be rich, you can be good, but humble yourself before me, trust me, then I'll provide for you. We see it even in in Jesus, right? Philippians chapter 2, where he says he humbled himself, taking up his cross, right? And then God highly exalted him, And so for us as well, we are, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's the promise of God to us, that we receive the mercy of God Not based on our performance, not based on our uh, our wealth, not based on our moral superiority, but based on God's mercy to us. He showers His mercy to us. He gives it to us as a free gift. But we do have to humble ourselves. We have to say, God, (laughs) my moral superiority is not that great anyway my righteousnesses are as filthy rags so to speak I, I i have nothing with which to come before you and claim make a claim on your goodness to me it is out of the mercy of god he goes on to say right Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of, of the flesh which wage war against the soul. See, because even as we receive God's mercy, then we get to live it out, right? We get to live out that overflow of joy and God's goodness to us. If, if we flip this around and we make God's goodness to us based on our performance, then our hope is in ourselves. But if we based our performance on God's mercy and grace to us, if we can say, God, you give me wisdom to make a good financial decision, if you say, God, you helped me to avoid that sin, and you helped me to live in joy before you, we're basing it off of God and who he is and the hope we have there. I've lived long enough to know That when I base my hope on myself and my performance, I have them all men most miserable, right? Because I mess up. I have great intentions. I start things well. And I stumble and fall. I don't say what I should. I don't do what I should. I don't follow through like I should. If I'm basing my hope on my performance, I'm in trouble. What about you? Maybe you're in school. Is your hope getting a good job, having a good life? Is that based on your performance in school? Is your Hope in your job, if you have a job. Is, is you hoping for a good life? Is it, is it a hope in that performance and a good job? I'm not saying you shouldn't do a good job. I'm just saying, where's your hope at? What, we're, what, what God is showing us and Abraham is demonstrating to us is that we have a God we can hope in. He is our shield. He is, he is the one who provides for us. He's the one who protects us. And he's the one who, therefore, makes promises to us as our shield. As the one who's saying, you know what, Abraham, you're, you're, you're trusting in me, and I'm going I'm to make your descendants like the stars of the heavens. Because I'm your shield, and you can trust me and not yourself. I don't know about you, but that gives me tremendous hope, tremendous freedom tremendous way of looking at the world because my world is not based on the past and what I can predict will happen in the future because of what's happened in the past. My, my, my hope isn't based on what I can drum up in myself, the, the, my self-will, My, my okay, I'm going to make this happen in my life. That's not where my hope is found. My hope is found in nothing less, all right, than God. And the promises he makes to me, that I can live as his people, right? Who have received his mercy. This is who I am. Not based on my performance, because of the because of the promises of God. I ran across this story by Palmer. Chin Chin is his name. he he, he went to Zimbabwe, to the Zambezi River, and they were going to raft from the base of the Victoria Falls. So think Grand Canyon, okay, and and rafting the Grand Canyon, except that there's crocodiles, okay? So The roar is deafening, he says. The falls are the largest in the world, more than a mile wide and 300 feet high. Mist from the air, from the spray, fills the air like fog. can be seen for 50 miles. The The locals call it smoke that thunders. It creates the world's largest rapids, and he, I guess with his brothers, is going to raft down it. I don't know why, but they decided to do that. In the United States, evidently, the highest class rapid you're allowed to to raft is a class five but in Africa they have looser rules evidently and you can do a seven or eight which is what the Zambezi river below Victoria Falls is so he sits on the edge of an eight-person raft all suited up and he felt like an overcautious tourist about to mount an overpowered moped in Honolulu right the Zambezi can't be that dangerous can it but then his guide said, when the raft flips, and not know no, if the raft flips or on the off chance we flip, but when the raft flips. He says, went on to say, stay in the rough water. You will be tempted to swim toward the calm water on the edge of the banks, but don't do it because in the stagnant water, that's where the crocs are. They are large and hungry, and so, even when the raft flips, stay in the rough water. He's like, he said, the lesson to him was, isn't that true in life as well, right? Sometimes we're tempted to go for the calm, to go for the, the things that we think are safe, the things that we can control, the things that, that we know we can handle. But God is calling us to follow him, to live with him, to live by faith because of the promises he has made to us. And therefore, in a sense, we live in the white water. We live in the turbulent times, not because we have to, but because we want to see God at work in our lives, and we don't want to get trapped by things that can kill us. And so Abraham here, he trusted in the promises of God and it says, and Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now these promises that God made, so in those days what they would do to make a covenant together would, would be they would cut animals like it's described here and they would line them up and then they would walk between them. It sounds grotesque and it kind of was. Because what they would say is when they're walking between them is basically, if I break the covenant, then my, my body, my, my person, in a sense, should be split open, split apart like these animals are split apart. That's the symbolism that's, that's being made. And so both parties would, would walk between the animals, c- taking this, this promise that they're making seriously. But what you see in Genesis 15 is Abraham does this, he splits the animals, he lays them out, but then it says God puts him in a deep sleep and he sees a vision not of himself walking through and God walking through next, but God only walking between the the broken animals and back and forth making this promise. Why? Because God is saying, I'm making this promise regardless of your performance, regardless of what you do. I'm making this based on who I am and what I want to accomplish in the world. And I want to bless the world I'm going to do that through you, not based on who you are, but based on who I am. It's an unconditional, unbreakable promise. That's the symbolism behind the detail to this story. So again, our hope is based on God's promises, that that if he would break, it would mean that he would have to break himself. He would have to destroy himself. And as it says other places in scripture, God cannot lie. He's giving us this promise that he wants to bless the world through Abraham. And that's why Abraham has hope. And why we should have hope as well. And therefore, it should be a hope that lives by faith. It's hope that lives by faith, right? It says, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now Paul in Romans goes and argues through that and helps you understand that. What he's saying is, is that, that that righteousness is not counted unto him on the basis of what Abraham did. Or on how he kept the, the covenant with God, but simply on God trusting in, or Abraham trusting in God's covenant to him, the promises that God had made to him. And so Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed From faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We live by faith. Hope lives by faith. We have hope in God and in his promises, but the way that we experience that, the way that we live in it, so to speak, is simply believing in God. The classic example, right, is I'll use Daniel's bench here. You can say, okay, we have this bench here, and I've seen Daniel sit on it. Do you have faith that it will hold me up? Right? We can walk around, and we can examine it, and say, well, it seems like it's, it's designed well enough to hold someone up. I've seen, I've seen it hold Daniel up, so I, I, I think it will hold me up. In fact, I, I have faith that it will hold me up. Okay, great. So, do you have faith that it will hold you? Yes, I do. I have faith. Uh, How do you? How do? But I don't. I don't. I don't see you sitting. Well, you know, I believe that it will. No, when you have faith that it will hold you up, you actually sit in it, right? And that's the point. Really, is that when Abraham believed God, he's saying, "I I believe. I'm I'm sitting in the fact that God is going to give me children." That God's going to keep his promises. And that's ultimately what we do with God as well. It's not that we just examine God and intellectually say, well, I believe God could keep his promises. I could believe what he said had happened in the Bible happened. No, for you personally, for for your life, are are you seated in the promises of God? Is it really your promises you say well those promises were made to Abraham in Genesis 15 yes but they affect you because it says through Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed and we find that as it God reveals through scripture that Jesus ultimately is the seed of Abraham the one through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed where are you placing your hope Because you can examine the Bible and you can intellectualize the Bible and you can say, oh, I I know it exists. I I, I believe that that stuff happened. But until you say, no, for me, Christ died for me. The promises of God are for me. I'm going to rest in the promises of God. I'm going to place my hope here. Have you done that? Where is your hope? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is that saying, it's it's real even though I can't see it. Pride, on the other hand, is that Hebrew... Habakkuk is where the quote from the righteous shall live by faith comes from. And the contrast there is, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right, upright within him. The proud say, I can handle it on my own. I can handle it based on my performance. I can do what I think is best for me. But the righteous shall live by faith. That is, they will trust in God. The seed of Abraham, through whom Abraham would be a blessing to the world, is Jesus Christ. Who are you trusting in? Where is your hope? This this month, as we go through and we reflect on the hope that we have, I realize we live in a dark world, right? As Ella read, just like Isaiah. There's darkness in the world. There's a lot of questions about how this world is going to go. The news isn't always good, right? Right? This is no different from Abraham. What is our hope in? Is it in doctors getting everything right? Is it in the economy getting everything right? Is it in the government getting everything right? Is it in ourselves getting everything right? Or is it in the promises of God. That God is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do. And it's kind of like a journey. And so I, I ran across this illustration. In World War II, the, the, the allies had captured southern Italy. And they were trying to not just capture northern Italy, they were also trying to hurt Germany, right? To hurt the war machine. And so they were sending bombers from southern Italy up through, the, through through to Romania, where the German oil supplies were, trying to bomb the German oil supplies and then fly back. Well, there's not that many ways to go from southern Italy to Romania. And so bombers were getting shot down by the score. So these these bombers would... Would either bail out or they would crash land in, in, in parts of what what we call Yugoslavia, Chechnya, Chechnya, that area, and they expected to be captured and many of them were, but uh, but many of them were helped by the, the Chechens and, and fed by the Chechens, put in safe places by the Chechens, and and they were, and uh, and and so what the the allies did was they organized a rescue mission they were like okay we're going to fly into certain a certain point certain village in in Chechnya and and take as many of the of the downed pilots and and airmen out as we can and so they they arranged it they put out the word through the resistance network and they and they started to fly into a certain village on certain dates but the, the airmen, of course, the, of course, if you're if you're there and you're like, okay, I, I got food, I got I got supplies. I'll, I'll, let me just get out. Some of them just wanted to get out, you know, get to the sea, you know, try to get across the sea between Italy and and Yugoslavia and get out. But instead, they had to trust that the Chechens would take them safely from where they're at to that airstrip and get them out safely. In two days. 237 airmen got out. The next week, in two more days, 210 airmen got out. The next month, we got more out. The next month, more out. Ultimately, over 800 airmen got out. Not because they knew the way. Not because they, they were so smart and they could handle all the problems of war on their own, they got out because they trusted the Chechens to lead them to the right spot at the right time. Is that not what faith is? Trusting in a God who has kept his promises to get us to the right spot at the right time in the right way. Faith is lived out and therefore hope lives by faith you can talk about hope and you can say i know my hope should be in the promises of god but are you living that are you placing your hope here that God, who is our shield, will keep his promises and give us his mercy and lead us all the way home. We have an awesome, awesome God, do we not? He keeps his promises. And I know it's tempting. We watch the news We see the problems of this world. We look at our families, our lives, and we think, what's going on? Where is all of this headed? How is this all going to work out? Our hope is not in our ability to figure it out. Our hope is based on the promises of God. Will you trust that? Will you place your hope there? Heavenly Father, you are a great and awesome God. You provided a son to Abraham when he could have no son. You rescued his sons and daughters from Egypt and made known to them who you are as Jehovah or Yahweh, The God who saves. The self existent one who needs nothing else but keeps his promises. And the same God who was the God of Abraham and Moses is our God today. You are our shield. You're our provider. You are our Savior. Help us to hope in you. And in you alone. And not in our performance, not in what we can figure out, not in our wealth, but in you and the promises you make to us. In your Son's name, amen. Let's stand.